Well, good morning, everybody. Man, it's good to see you guys. My name's Aaron, one of the pastors here at Bridgewater. We're glad to be able to jump into God's Word with you guys this morning. Are you guys excited? I feel like I'm going to have to wake you up. You got an extra hour of sleep. You're all... Somebody walked in today and brought a pillow with them and told me they brought their pillow for today. <sighs> you got... Everybody's a jokester. I see how it is. Hey, uh, we're excited to be able to start a brand new series with you, but before we do that, I want to tell you a little bit of information about what's been going on across Bridgewater. Um, Last week was our vision, well, really the beginning of our Vision 2022 campaign. We've been praying that God would allow us to take some next steps, Not, not about buildings, not about, you know, money per se, but really about seeing more lives changed. That's what the entirety, I can honestly stand in front of you and t- tell you that's what it's all about. And so we recognize that there's some things that we need to do to be able to keep up with what God is already doing and with what God wants us to do. And so we were aiming to raise $500,000 to do some things for the Tunkhannock uh, campus that's growing like crazy, to do some things for some more leaders, raising up more leaders, and then also to be ready to launch another campus, hopefully this next year. Does that sound good? All right, good. That's, that's right. I'm excited about that. Um, just to let you know, so far, and again, we have through the end of the year to do this, but so far, we've had two, over 245 gifts that have totaled a little over $300,000 with, yeah, that's awesome, with another 100000 that has been committed. So that means... As of right now, we are four-fifths of the way. Now, math is not my strong suit, but four out of five is pretty easy. So four-fifths four of the way there. You know, we're, we're getting there, right? Praise God. Amen? So I just, I want to encourage you, let you know what's happening, and uh, let you know how you can get involved, okay? So I'm excited. I'm going to keep praying. I know that God's going to keep using us in some powerful ways. All right. We are going to jump into a brand new series called A Tale of Three Kings. We're going to be talking about three different kings in the nation of Israel. Now, there's, there's some books in the Old Testament, okay, the, kind of that first part of your, of your Bible that are called history books. We'd call them kind of like they tell us the history of the nation of Israel and things that were going on. You have books like First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, okay? And they give us a ton of background for how God was moving and working, but they also teach us a lot about what it looks like to trust and follow and obey God. Today we're going to look at one of those kings. His name was Saul. Now before we do that, I want to talk with you about an intriguing word. There's a word that I think is incredibly powerful in the English language. It's powerful in, in two different ways. It's, it's powerful when it's used positively. It's, it's really, really powerful and frankly, I would say scary when it's used negatively. Any guesses as to what English word? <laughs> There's a few English words. So any guesses as to what English word I might be talking about? Fear, that's a good one. Power, that's a good one. The word is actually more simple than that. It's the word almost. 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 
Think about it. It's a powerful word when it's used positively. You, do you remember when you were a kid and maybe you were first learning a new skill, a new skill right? You were maybe learning a sport, you're working on something, or you're in school, and somebody came alongside you and used this powerful word in a positive way, and they said, you are doing so well, you're almost there, keep going. You ever heard that? You remember that? And it's a, it's a powerful, motivational word, isn't it? I, I coach cross-country, and one of the best words you can hear is, the race is almost over. <laughs> when I can say that to, a, to one of my runners and I can be like, you're almost there, 200 yards, let's go. It's, it's encouraging, it's exciting, it's helpful, it's like, great, I'm not going to die, you know. <laughs> it's a powerful word. It's a powerful word when used negatively as well. In fact, it, it can be used negatively in a number of ways, but imagine with me if we use the word to talk about someone's character. Imagine if we use the word to talk about the way somebody lived. What if we said that somebody was almost a good husband? Right? Almost a godly wife. Almost a faithful partner, almost a good employee, almost, almost, almost. The word is powerful. If somebody said, you are almost, if, if somebody walked up to me and said, Aaron, you, you, you're almost a good dad. Almost a faithful pastor. I don't know if there's a word that could hurt more than that. To say you're right there, you have all the potential in the world, you have, you have all the ability, everything's there, but you just didn't do it. You almost patched things up with your spouse. You almost fixed your marriage. You almost reconciled with your kids. You almost stopped drinking. You almost stopped whatever it is. The list could go on and on and on. See, when somebody talks about character and being almost... It's scary. And there is a person in this tale of three kings who could be described as almost. He had everything. He was the tallest, the strongest, the best looking. He was intelligent. He had everything at his fingertips. And yet when it came down to it, one thing got in the way and made his story able to be described by the word almost. The one thing that got in the way was his character. His name is Saul. Because you see, character demonstrates who we really are. 
Character puts on full display what's going on in my heart. It shows what happens in the background. When I'm placed in the, in, in the crucible or in, when I'm put in the hard situations and all of a sudden, like who I am really has to come out because I'm stressed and, and I'm, I, I, I'm being pressed on every side and, and really I just react or I just respond. Who I am on the inside comes out. It's character. Life of Saul shows us what happens when we don't deal with our character flaws. Now, if you're here today, as we dive into this, if you are are new to Christianity, if you're new or to, to the idea of Jesus Christ, I want you to know something from the onset. We believe here that character really comes, godly character, good character really comes when we put our faith in Jesus and then he begins to change us. It doesn't go the other way. It's not that we show up and we have to clean everything up and fix everything and then God will take us in. No, that's not it. So if all you hear today is that part, then then good. Because I don't want you to think that as we talk about character today and what could trip up your character, I don't want you to think that you have to have godly character to come to God. You need Jesus. But if you're here today and, and you're in Jesus, then we believe that he's going to begin to change you. And I want to talk with you about what happens when we don't deal with character, when we don't deal with our flaws. See, look at how Saul started out in 1 Samuel. We're, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along. We're going to be primarily in 1 Samuel 15, but I am going to look at a couple other passages, okay? So if you want to follow along, you can do that. Um, I'm going to start, though, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, because I want want you to see the very first time we hear about this man named Saul, okay? The nation of Israel spent a good portion of its early years without a king, Every other nation around them, all the nations around them had kings, and the Israelites, they didn't have kings. They had prophets, and they had priests, they had spiritual leaders, but God was their king. God said, I will be your king. Just listen to me. Obey me. Do what I tell you to do, and and things are going to be good. Isn't that interesting that the real goal is that we listen to God? Well, along the way, the nation of Israel decided, no, we want to be like everybody else. We want to have a king. We want to we have a king who tells us what to do. We're tired of this, this old system. And so finally, after years and years of saying, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king, God relents. And he said, fine, have it your way. But it's not going to go well. And it didn't. In 1 Samuel 9, we hear about Saul. It says in verse 2, Kish had a son named Saul. As handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anybody else. Tall, dark, and handsome. Some of you are going, sounds pretty good. (laughs) He had it all. 1 Samuel chapter 10 then describes for us what happened. Samuel 
goes before the nation of Israel and says, listen, trust me, you don't want a king, let God be your king. And they kept saying, no, we want a king. So finally, God tells Samuel, that's all right, I'll, I'll, I'll guide you, I'll show you. So Samuel gets involved. In verse 21 and then verse 24 of 1 Samuel 10, it says this, finally Saul, son of Kish, was taken. Here's what they did. They lined up all the, the heads of households in the nation, and they were choosing a head of household. And then from there, the heads of households would have like sons, and the sons would have sons. So they went down the line, and they finally got to Kish's household. And Samuel says to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen, essentially, he was saying, it's Saul. Do you know what's interesting? He says there's no one like him among all the people. Do you know what 1 Samuel 10 tells us that Saul was doing at this point? He was hiding underneath a cart. And then he comes out and all the people see him and they're like, whoa, yeah. But Saul, he struggled from the very beginning. Here's the thing. Saul had all the potential in the world, everything at his fingertips. There's no one like him among all the people. The people want to follow him. It's great. But guess what? Saul didn't deal with his character issues, and it led him to be an almost. So I want to show you in Saul's life three steps to failure. These are true for me. You've, you've heard in the news over and over, what happens with, with, with pastors who fail, right? Let's, let's just address it for a minute. Like, we hear high-profile leaders who fail. How does that happen? The same way it happened in Saul's life. How would it happen in your marriage, or how would it happen in your workplace, or how would it happen in your home, or how would it happen to me? It's going to be described right here, plain and simple, and if we'll listen to it, and if we'll acknowledge, hey, wait a minute, I need to deal with that one, then there's hope, okay? There's hope that we wouldn't be an almost. So let me walk you through his life. The first step to failure that shows up in Saul's life is that Saul got into this whole partial obedience thing. Like he, he obeyed a little bit, but he didn't obey fully. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like... You know, we fudge a little bit. We go, well, you know, a little bit of watching the things that I know I shouldn't won't really hurt me. A little bit of not fully telling the truth won't really hurt me. A little bit won't kill me. Right? One of our pastors in, in preparing for this talk, he, uh, he was telling me about the Titanic and how when the Titanic was made, it was divided into 16 different compartments. The, the new theory was that if you had a ship with a hole that had 16 compartments, if you got a little bit of water in one compartment, it wasn't going to be that big of a deal. They could seal it off, and the ship could still float. Well, we know how that story ends. I wonder how many times we think we can take on a little bit of water and be okay. How often we can do partial obedience. Look at what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Look at what, what, what Saul said to Saul, or what Samuel said to Saul. Sorry, tongue twisters here. Samuel said, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. This is a place where you would coronate 
kings at that time, okay? He says, go down ahead of me. I will surely come down to you and, and, and sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Okay, Saul, here's what you do. Go to Gilgal and just wait. I'll be there. Do not do anything until I get there. I sacrifice and I tell you what to do. Samuel was a priest. Only the priest could sacrifice, okay? Only he could do that. So what did Saul do? Well, he goes to Gilgal. Things get crazy. One of his men goes and attacks an outpost of the Philistines. It starts a war. The Philistines decide, you know what? That's it. We're going to battle. So Saul starts raising up men. He raises up 3,000 men, which sounds great until you find out that the Philistines came against them with 3,000 chariots, the modern-day equivalency of our tanks, 6,000 men to drive those chariots, and more men than the number of the sands on the seashore to come against now 3,000 men with Saul. Guess what happened? People got scared. People started to run. Saul had 3,000. Pretty soon before he knew it, it was 600 because some fled across the Jordan. They're like, that's it. I'm out. They got tanks. I'm done. Not only that, they only had two swords among them. They were fighting with clubs. Who knows? And yet the Philistines were coming with a real army. Saul got scared. We get scared, don't we? I get scared when God tells me to be sacrificial financially. I get scared. I get scared when God tells me to tell the truth, and I know the truth hurts. I get scared. I get scared when God wants me to lead through something, but I know that it means some of my friends aren't going to like me when I lead through it. I get scared. You get scared. I get scared to talk about Jesus at times. We all do. What, what do we do? The text tells us in chapter 13 what happened. In chapter 13 and verse 8, so Saul went to Gilgal. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But at some point during that seventh day, Samuel had not made it yet to Gilgal. And Saul's man, men began to scatter. Then it goes on in verses 9 and 10, and it says this. So he said, bring me, this is Saul, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. And just as he finished the offering, I, I, this is just like, doesn't it work like this every time? Just as he finished, guess who shows up? Samuel. And Saul went out to greet him. Saul goes out like everything's fine and dandy. Is everything fine and dandy? No. Because he disobeyed. Well, wait a minute. He went. He went to Galgal or Gilgal. He waited seven days. Wait a minute. He he did most of it. Didn't he do most of it? Yeah, but he didn't do all of it. And partial obedience is full disobedience. Plain and simple. It's it was true for him and it's true for me. Here's Saul. He wants God to bless him. He knows he needs to do the sacrifice. He, know he's in, he knows he's in trouble. He wants God to bless him. So what does he do? He does what we often do. It's like we, we say, I've been praying. Do you not know how long I've been praying? God, I've asked you to work. I've been waiting. But God doesn't seem to be moving, so we take it into our own hands. 
partial obedience is full disobedience. I, I don't like saying that because it's true of me. But we need to acknowledge that if, if we keep doing this, that word is going to be true of us. Almost. This isn't the only time that Saul does this. Let me show you what, what Samuel says to him, and then, then we'll go to chapter 15. Samuel, he shows up, and he says to him, what have you done? And the answer is he, he disobeyed. Chapter 15, we see another situation like this. In verse 2, Sam, Samuel is telling Saul what to do, and he says this, this is what the Lord Almighty says. This is what God wants you to do. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Just, just let me give you a background here. God is saying, Saul, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to use you. You're going to lead the nation of Israel to, do so, to bring about justice. What justice? Well, you see, when God was leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, as they were on the run and they needed help and they needed food and they needed water and they just needed a place to stay along the way, they went through the land of the Amalekites. And they asked, can we stay here? We'll repay you for anything. We'll take care of anything that we use. And they said, no way. And not only that, if you go through our land, we will kill you. All the way back in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 17, verse 14, says this. If we can pull that up. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under the heavens. God made a promise 300 years ago. 300 years ago. And they didn't repent. And they didn't deal with it. We wonder why God would send Israel to destroy the Amalekites. Like, that's weird, right? And that doesn't seem right. This is why. So back to chapter 15 and verse 3. Look at what it says. He says, now, go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep and camels and donkeys. Like, that sounds weird, but he's saying, listen, they did, the, they did a terrible, terrible thing. God is bringing about justice. And so he sends them. But do not miss what he says. He says, totally destroy all of them. What did Saul do? Verse 8. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the Lord. Wait a minute. Why did he keep the king alive? Was it because Saul was king and if anything ever happened to him, he wanted to be spared too? I don't know. Was he obeying fully? No. Then it goes on in verse 9, look at what it says. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These were, un they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. They kept back something good for themselves. What were they doing? Were they obeying? Pfft, sure doesn't seem like it. 
Guess what God's response was? Verse 11. I regret that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and he has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Partial obedience. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like, I know this is countercultural. I know a lot of people are like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Don't you understand? It's not that big of a deal. No, I'll tell you, when it comes to following a holy God and when it comes to our character, a little thing is a big thing. It is. So it's imperative for us to recognize that Saul became an almost, and we don't want to become that too. See, I just want to wrestle with a question for myself, and I want to ask you to wrestle with it. Where am I partially obeying God? Where am I refusing to fully obey let me share with you the second step to failure that showed up in Saul's life. So Saul did all of this in chapter 15. Things didn't go well. Samuel's mad. God's mad. Man, what's going on? You would think, because Samuel confronts him. Samuel says, hey, what did you do? You would think maybe he would own it. Maybe he would learn. Maybe he'd take responsibility. No, what Saul did was he refused to take personal responsibility. He is the king. His word goes. If the king says, leave it alive, guess what the soldiers are going to do? Leave it alive. If he says, it's all to be gone, it's all to be destroyed, what do you think the people are going to do? What the king says. That's the way it is. Well, Saul blames it on the people. Look at what happens, verse 12. He says this. Early in the morning, Samuel got up, and he went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There, he has set up a monument in his own honor, and he has turned and gone down to, on down to Gilgal. He goes to Carmel, which is, you know, off from the, the Mediterranean Sea. It's a high place in the whole area of Galilee. He builds a monument to himself. Look, I beat the Philistines, or the, uh, the Malachites, I mean. Look at this. This is awesome. He was off worshiping himself instead of obeying God. So Samuel tracks him down. He goes and he finds him at Gilgal. And in verse 13, Samuel says this to him. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. Religious wording. Oh, God bless you. Look, look at this. Things are going well. I've carried out the Lord's instructions, had he? But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? Hey, Saul. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. <laughs> Figured it was heavy enough in here. We've got to lighten it up a bit. You hear, you hear the, the sheep bleeding. What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Where did those come from? Verse 15, Saul answered, here is his chance. Yep, Samuel, you're right. I was wrong. Here's his chance. What does he say? The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared them, spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. They were, they were going to sacrifice them to God. But then, but we 
totally destroyed the rest. He wants to take credit for the good and blame the bad. And how often do we do the same thing? How often do we refuse to acknowledge that the buck actually stops with us? It's not somebody else's fault that I got angry. Your choices were your choices. I responded because of my character. It's not somebody else's fault that I'm, you know, it's not the government's fault that I'm giving in to anxiety and worry. It's not because of an election or because of what's going, no, it's in my heart. That's where it's coming from. And until we learn to take extreme ownership and say, nope, it's me, we will keep going down the path to almost. Saul did it. I want you to see. I'm just going to move through this quickly. Look at what Samuel responds with. He says, enough. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul says, tell me. I, like, I just want to grab Saul and just say, dude, you don't want to hear it. Not going to go well. Verse 17, Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? In other words, Saul, you were in charge. Whether you allowed it or just didn't stop them, or whatever it was, the buck stopped with you. You need to take responsibility. The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And again, you would think that he would repent. But how does he respond? Verse 20. He says this, but I did obey the Lord. And I think he needs to say, almost. I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, and I brought back Agag, their king. Verse 21, the soldiers, again, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God at Gilgal. By the way, Samuel, this is your fault. We have to make sacrifices. You have to make sacrifices. Here, I'm bringing them to you. No, No, Saul, it's your fault. I I, I don't care how old you are, how wise you are, how young you are, how naive you are, until we learn to take ownership and repent and be honest and accept what we've done and not blame shift, you're going to keep on a path to almost. But Samuel replied, does the, Lord sac- does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is much better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. 
Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, look, he has rejected you as king. Saul was king for 42 years. This was the first year of his reign. For 42 years, he knew God was done with him. Because he didn't fully obey and he didn't own his part. He became an almost. Third, Saul's pathway to failure came because of fear of people more than of God. I would tell you, as we look at these three, wherever you are at right now, just to tell you where I'm going to land, what if, what if you just chose right now to say, you know what, I need to own it. I need to own my stuff. I need to own my own failures. I need to not push and blame. You know, kids do this all the time. They say, well, I only hit her because she, she called me a name. And we do the same thing. I only yelled and screamed because it cut me off in traffic. You know? I wasn't, I wasn't kind because they weren't kind to me. You know? I mean, the, the list could go on and on and on. So own it. Don't say you're angry because of somebody else. Don't say your kids make you crazy and so you whatever. Don't say, you know, you're only worried because of the economy. Don't, don't say I just drink because of this or that or I do, you know, go do whatever because of somebody. No. Like just own it. Look at his fear of people more than God. Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. Finally, he gets it. Almost. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Verse 25. See, Samuel, before I read this for you, Samuel is leaving him. Samuel's like, I'm not sticking around. You're not getting it. You're not listening. You're not obeying God. I'm moving on. And so finally, Saul says, hey, please, please, wait, wait, I get it. It was me. It was my fault. I was wrong. But is that really what he's worried about? Is he really going after repenting? Is he really owning it? The next verse tells us what he's really after. Now I beg you, forgive me my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Okay, that sounds good. But then he goes on. Verse 26, but Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the Lord, the Lord, the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. This is what's interesting to me, and just, just a little tidbit for you here. Notice what got him in trouble. He rejected the word of the Lord. Notice what's still getting people in trouble today, rejecting the word of the Lord, or trying to make it say something that it doesn't actually say. That's what's going on. Verse 27, as Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and tore it. Samuel's going. Saul says, no, don't go. Grabs his robe 
He tears it. Samuel turns and says to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and he has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul responded. He replied. He said, I have sinned. And here's what he's really after. But please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Guess what he was after? If the king came back and came to worship God, but he didn't come with the high priest, everybody would know there was a problem. If he showed up to worship the Lord and Samuel's like, nope, I'm not going to have anything to do with this worship, everybody would know there was a problem. He was more concerned with the approval of men than what God said. It's the same thing. We live for approval. We can live for praise. We can find our significance in others' opinions. We can be controlled by peer pressure. We can be controlled by whether or not we think somebody will reject us. And when we do that, hmm, we're on the path to almost. Let me show you the end of the story. Samuel actually went with him. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Samuel did, gave him a gracious gift. He really did. He went back with him. Look at verse 35. It says this, Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So he went that one time, but then he's like, I'm done. See, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that Saul almost lived for God. Not thoroughly. Again, this is a man who God, God spoke to him. God revealed things to him. God made it plain. He laid it all out in front of him. And, and, and Saul almost lived for God. Not thoroughly, just almost. Which for me raises a question. It raises a question that I think each of us need to wrestle with. Are you ready to live thoroughly for the Lord? If so, then here's what we need to ask ourselves. Which of these three? The three failures of Saul, right? Which of these three, the partial obedience, the not taking personal responsibility, or fearing people more than we fear God, which of these three do you need to address, do I need to address to thoroughly live for God, to get off the path to almost, and get on the path to absolutely? Which of these three do I need to go home? and own. Is there an area of your life where you're partially obeying, which is actually disobeying? Then why not learn from Saul and own it and go back to God? He'll hear you. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. And he will be good. Would you pray with me? Father God,
Some of the stories in the scriptures are just incredible examples of obedience and sacrifice and, and, and love and, and goodness and mercy and grace. Some of the stories we learn examples of what not to do. This one from Saul is a, a clear example for me of what not to do. And in a lot of ways, I think many of us can identify with Saul. We do have a lot of good things. We have a lot of opportunity. And if we aren't careful, we'll keep going down the path to almost. God, I pray that even right now as we sit and have a time to interact with you and hear from you, I pray that we would turn and own it. Thank you that I know that when we come back to you, thank you that we can know for sure that when we come back to you, you, you welcome us with open arms because of what Jesus has done. I pray this in Jesus' name.